When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast, episode... <laughs> Catch a niner in there? <laughs> yeah, welcome back. This is our first uh, post-conference episode. Yep. So we're glowing still from that, of course. Oh, yeah. Um, if you didn't have a chance to make it to our first annual, hopefully first of many, Dominion conferences, you missed out. There's some good stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of great speakers, really great fellowship. Mm-hmm. Some mediocre singing and uh, some really great coffee. <laughs> some really great coffee. That's right. I am uh, one of your hosts, Jeremy. And I'm Alex. And uh, who's this guy? Greg. Greg. Just Greg. Just Greg. Greg Hill. Also <laughs> at the conference, which was fantastic. Excellent. And one of the reasons we have you on is so we can talk a bit about that. But uh, yeah, I guess let's uh, do some shout outs before mm-hmm. we start. The Folklorist. Apparently, uh, Tristan got himself a big retweet this week. Yeah, he got a shout out from the man Jack Carr himself. Jack Carr. Yeah. I I don't know what the kids are doing nowadays, so I didn't know who that was when they told me. (laughs) But apparently, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. (laughs) Yeah, if you want to check out the the video, um, Tristan, the folklorist, made a music video for the soundtrack to the Terminal List, kind of a cover of that. And Jack, I don't know how Jack Carr came across it, but... He sent it out on socials, so that was pretty cool. Mm. And uh, thanks to Tristan. And, man, do you smell the bread that is wafting out there the floor right yeah. now? Mrs. Inglis just knocking Miss it out of the park. She's it. sending us each home with a loaf of bread. <laughs> <laughs> just for the for, for the privilege of having us record in their house. I mean, oh, wait a minute. No, I don't think, I don't think the bread's for us. But uh, we get to enjoy the lovely uh, aroma. Yeah. Thanks to them. And as always, uh, Kawartha Classical Christian School. Um, Greg was there today with his wife helping out. We had a history day today. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and it is is, uh, impressive. I don't know how Mel Inglis, Mrs. Inglis, the other Mrs. Inglis, I don't know how she gets that place set up in one evening, but you walk in and it's a a different world. Wow. And... Mm -hmm. uh, the kids all do, the students all do speeches. They all did really well. And uh, yeah, it's good to, you know, in an age where they're canceling history, you know, they're they're twisting and distorting history. Yeah. Um, history is a massive part of a classical Christian education. It, it, it's part of a just traditional Western education is is history and uh, and literature. So we have a very comprehensive historical program at Quartha Classical and um i mean it goes through cycles they'll do like you know the ancients and then uh medieval modern or whatever they'll go through this cycle i think four times over the course of their time at kccs yes. and um i mean they're going to come out of this program even after grade 8 with more history than i had in my history degree yeah. you know in at trent university so which again is not just about learning facts it's understanding the world and it's understanding yeah. human nature. It's understanding God's work in the world. Yeah. And when you read Isaiah and he's, and uh, God is saying, you know, um, declaring the end from the beginning, I am, I am God, there is no other, declaring the end from the beginning. One of the other things he mentions is that God interprets the events of the past. Yeah. 
because it's not just like you said, it's not just bare facts, bare facts. Like no. they have to be interpreted mm-hmm. and uh, they have to be interpreted in light of God's uh, truth. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good to be there with them. And uh, good to see that the work is continuing at Quartha Classical. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, what were you? So you guys were just helping with uh, some of the setup, or yeah, just came came into uh, enjoy seeing the fruits of all the labors, yeah. and and it is. I mean, it's encouraging, it's particularly in a Isn't culture it? where you're you're seeing what's happening around us, and to see that next generation understanding it, and mm-hmm. and to hear them actually giving witness to what that history means, like you said, Alex, yeah, uh, and saying this, you know, at the tail end of some of their speeches, they'd say give a version of what this means for, for me personally or what it should mean for us in our in our modern era. So it's, yeah. it's encouraging to see that being built. We're going to talk about, I think towards the end, more of strategies for building. But our generation, you know, we, we've all kind of witnessed the collapse of our country. Um, slower at times and other times, faster at other times. But our this next generation, my children... Um, they're going to be the ones who are Lord willing involved in the rebuilding, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's something to keep in mind when we talk about our strategy. It's your strategy has to be multi-generational. Yeah. You know, it's not, it actually, if all you're doing is, for example, going to the next protest next weekend, like you, and that's it, you're not really doing anything. But if it feels like, especially with the school and as a parent, um, pouring into the next generation, like that is so fundamental to our task. And 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 if you fail there, it doesn't matter what else you do. Like mm-hmm. if, if you lose your children, that's why we're in this mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're yeah. in this mess because, you know, there weren't Christian fathers and Christian mothers raising children to fear mm-hmm. the Lord. That's why we're here, so... Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you want to uh, maybe introduce uh, our yeah. guest? So what I our thought distinguished we, guest, our distinguished guest. <laughs> well, right. he's a, he's a well traveled guest. That's, that's for right. sure. Um, you know a thing or two about planes. Is what you're telling <laughs> me. That and uh, yeah, like I was saying, that and not a lot outside that scope when it comes to uh, <laughs> to lucrative uh, income options. So. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I had, found out. I asked Greg. <laughs> Uh, to come on because he's been attending Hill City for some time now, and um, we've gotten to know one another. He attended the conference. He's been a listener and supporter of Dominion, and uh, but but has his own sphere and his own gig. world. Yeah, his own gig. And I thought it would be good to think through um, someone outside of our immediate circle, although we overlap a lot. You know how how are you taking Dominion, and how is God working through that? Um, all of those labors. So why don't you begin, Greg, for our audience sake, introducing yourself, maybe where you grew up and uh, what you ended up doing for a career and how that led to Free to Fly. Sure. Yeah. I'll try and give you the Reader's Digest version. Yep. Born in 1960X, 1968. (laughs) Yeah. Grew up uh, in a solid Christian home. My dad was a military man, so I came by my the first season of my career, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, ended up flying the planes that he jumped out of as mm. an army guy. Mm-hmm. So from that, spent a lot of time traveling, but also uh, I would say my dad was also a, a student of history and uh, added a fair bit of that, just understanding the cost at which we enjoy the freedoms that we've we've got. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, so moved around, really didn't live anywhere growing up more than about uh, three years, uh, joined the military myself. The day I turned 
18, I walked through the gates of uh, military college and people started screaming at me for uh, the next number of years. <laughs> and, uh, and then I ended up flying uh, with the military for uh, 20 years um, and flew wow. out of that, got to the airlines. And What type of planes did you fly with the military? Uh, Herx, C-130. Oh, yeah. So the transport, uh, transport thing. I, I, I sort of laugh. I, I started my career during the Top Gun era, so almost everybody wanted to fly uh, fighters. But <laughs> I honestly wanted to fly transports from the time I was uh, 13. That was my, uh, my That's goal. That's great. I was yeah. uh, the firstborn type A uh, guy. I remember thinking just a little bit of what you're talking about in terms of how do we, how do we build for the future? Yeah. So I was a 13-year-old and decided I, I want to fly airplanes. Um, and because I was pretty driven, uptight type guy, I'm like, what can I do at 13? So I remember memorizing the phonetic alphabet because it was all I could think of to do, right? Which is a pretty small piece, but, you know, down the road 10 years when it came time to, to learn that from my actual flying career, it was one less thing I had to do at that point, mm, right? Alpha, beta, Charlie, that stuff? Bravo. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah, that that whole I'm one. I'm thinking alpha, beta, <laughs> beta. I'm the beta host, oh, yeah. so. The beta right. That's not <laughs> what I hear. Hey, I'm the Bravo host. <laughs> yeah, there you go, buddy. Moving up. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I uh, flew in the military until 2006, got to the airlines after that, spent some time in the reserve uh, for the first 12 years I was at the uh, at the airline. Um, yeah, and then, I mean, the grand fast forward to 2020, unless you want more detail about that uh, that phase, but I mean, that was how I came about my uh, my flying career. So did you, did you, I do have a question about that. And um, did you enjoy your time in the military? Like, were you proud to serve in the Canadian military? Yeah, um, that's a good question. That's another whole rabbit hole we could delve into for probably a long season because I, I would say I'm not anymore looking, right. not so much looking back, but looking what's become uh, of the military, right? And during that season, I, I use the word season a lot because I like to think of life that way because otherwise mm -hmm. you feel like you're just in a forever winter, right? And I do think life cycles. Um, I'd say I was very idealistic. I mean, I, I grew up, thinking I, you know, I want to make something of my life and I want to make a difference. And so that's why I did what I did. I'd say towards the latter stages, like when I finished up, it was nothing but deployments to Afghanistan, like mm -hmm. over and over and over again. Um, and there was a, there was a six month period where I commanded the airlift uh, over there in and out. And so you'd have people cycling in and out doing their two month tours and you were expected to give them a little bit of a pep talk when they arrived and tell them, you know, a little bit about why we're here and what we're doing. And I had a hard time with it, just starting to ask bigger questions about mm. like, why? Like, what are we, what are we really going to do throwing ourselves in, mm -hmm. into this giant mess as a Western nation, unless you're planning to stay here forever and ever, which obviously didn't happen and ended very poorly. You're just creating a, a power vacuum. So at the end mm -hmm. of the day, it's like execute the mission safely and effectively look after your, uh, you know, those that you're flying with and, and get home safely. And in the individual villages, sure, you know, for for a portion of time, we were doing some good things, but but I started asking some bigger questions about about what we were doing. Uh, and anybody who's been in the military, uh, I remember reading uh, Sebastian Younger's got a book called it's just called War, some of which is about why why men go to war. And you're, if you ask those men, they're not going to give you a, a speech about God and country. Mm. They're they're there because of the guys they're they're there with, and you mm -hmm. you want to look after the people that you're you're fighting uh, with. Uh, and so that becomes really the motivation. And people that leave after, when they look back, it's like, hey, do you miss it? Well, I, I miss the guys that I I worked with. Um, but yeah, I started to ask some bigger questions towards the latter. But this is the, see, this is important. 
That's an interesting observation because I think that points to the um, the hierarchy of loyalties that we need in our life. Mm. That as much as I do, I do believe in patriotism. I believe in the reality of nations to a degree, but um, we are meant to live in, in with responsibilities to the people in front of our faces. Mm-hmm. And part of the um, dysfunction of the globalist agenda is a total inversion mm. that we have these responsibilities to people a thousand miles away yeah. and they're trying to corrupt our responsibilities to even our children. Like the NDP now are passing legislation I read last night that's making spanking illegal. Mm. There's already the criminal code says you can't abuse your children. Like this is already, you're not allowed to do that in Canada. Mm-hmm. But they're going so far as, anyways, so there's like this undermining of the relationship that we have to our neighbors, to our family, to our space, to our children, and yet we're supposed to go fight in these forever wars, and and the the bonds of loyalty are different. Well, and if you, this if collectivist you look at, world, you know, and especially if you look at what happened to to a lot of those guys that came back afterward, I mean, you you probably remember that famous little town hall where there's this veteran asking Trudeau, like, why are we just throwing throwing veterans to the? And it's like, well, we can't afford this anymore. Meanwhile, yeah. they're spending money on all sorts of other things, right? And you oh, understand. Yeah. Uh, where those loyalties actually sit. Uh, and, and so I'm, we'll probably talk about it a little bit later, but I, I think I've even seen that over the continuum of 2020 until now in terms mm. of the focus, even my own focus on, on what we're doing and why we're doing it. A lot of it started to come closer to home and, and what are you doing within that that uh, individual sphere of responsibility before you start trying to take on bigger things. Uh, so so for, from a military sp- perspective, um, sure, I, I miss the camaraderie, the flying of the airplane, you know, mm-hmm. flying military aircraft. We were, I flew it tactically. So you're down at 200 feet. Wow. Because that's the safest place to be in a giant, uh, not giant, but a big airplane that doesn't go very fast is, is, <laughs> is as close to the ground big as possible. Target. Not exactly the most maneuverable plane though. <laughs> no, uh, surprisingly for, for something that size, but in terms of our, our tactical defense, that's, that's, that's how we employed it. So. Wow. You're yanking and banking and throwing stuff out the back, and and that doesn't go so well well at the airlines, right? Like you're, it's it's so so. They, <laughs> yeah. You could do it once. I always say you could try anything once, right? But uh, it's the end of your career, pretty much. So, did you have a cooling off period when you got uh, to the airline? It's like, hey, hey, you can't we do, do things different around Listen, here. Sport. <laughs> yeah. Just go up in a line, come down in a line, boom. Yeah, that's it. Follow the flight plan. Yeah. Right. yeah so that's uh, so that part of it, the, the hands and feet part as we call it yeah um yeah it was a lot of fun going up over cottage country in the fall and seeing the colors and yanking and banking and doing all all that stuff mm. um but yeah it's, it's a very different gig uh, as far as the airline goes so it's so that's that's what kind of brought me up to to that wonderful uh whatever it was february march april somewhere in there of 2020 when when life got uh very different right so. and so is that when so when did you exit the military well, I left in 2006. Okay. Uh, so I'd been at the airline for uh, for quite a few years. Yes. Um, but you left the airline in 2020? Uh, left. Well, <laughs> wow. yeah. so a little while, while after that, along with a bunch of other Canadians that right. suddenly found themselves doing things they hadn't foreseen career-wise. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. So you grew up in a, a Christian home yeah. and went into the military, followed your father. I didn't know that about your father. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, then you're in the you're flying for the airlines, and what 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 led 
maybe even just briefly to the formation of free to fly the genesis of free to fly yeah um, so backstory there's two ways i know you so when you first sat in my office i'm like i know this guy one we met at a trailer park years before trailer park we, yeah <laughs> we had a we had a conversation at a trailer park our trailer was beside his when we were renting and we chatted for a while like year, like three four years maybe oh, five years ago yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, the other one was we saw his picture in some publication online for free to fly, and which he'll explain. And my wife, I remember we were looking at it during the craziness, and she's like, I bet that guy's a Christian. And then turns out he is. (laughs) And here we are. And here we are. That's the whole story right there. Yeah, that's it. So what, were you like the one pushing, like leading the free to fly thing? Like it was you and someone else or just yeah you or? well it was myself and my good friend uh matt sattler um, okay. but there's a bit of a so uh, yeah 2020 um i'll step back a little bit uh i was chairing a private school board at the time and so out of that um it's like hey we're gonna we're gonna shut the schools down and keep all these kids at home and i was like what and, and I'm a bit of a data geek, like I like spreadsheets. Uh, so all I all I did really in, in my my initial epiphany was taking government data. I wasn't in some corner watching bit, bit shoot videos. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just started crunching government data. And and literally 20 minutes later, I thought, what on earth is going on? Like this doesn't doesn't make sense. And then from there, of course, started reading a whole bunch more and was like, man, this is uh, this is not good where we're going. But that's the danger of doing your own research. <laughs> so what was it about the numbers? That- that didn't make sense to you. Well, I remember saying uh, to others at the school, like if, if we're going to keep them home, then statistically speaking, we should also keep them in the basement in rubber boots all summer long because mm. their danger of being struck by lightning is like three times higher statistically than it is of dying from COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, you can start coming up with speaking points like that, yeah. that uh, play well with a, with a certain crowd and maybe not so well with the others. There just wasn't a, a real willingness to talk about, about some of that. So that was, that's just a, a bit of a side story. But then as we moved towards the, uh, hey, this vaccine's going to save us, mm. I remember thinking like, that's all your eggs in one basket, mm. um, which is generally never a good idea. And then I thought, wow, we travel all over the world. And if they're coming after anybody with this, like if it's going to be something where you split up society, the airline world is probably going to be one of the first ones to uh, to be required. Mm-hmm. So I remember it clear as day. I I'd just gone out to kind of do a bit of a workout. I was running around um, a, a sports field and I, I was like doing, I don't know, chin-ups on a goalpost or something. I, and I only mentioned that because I distinctly remember, and I think we've all had those moments throughout the COVID era where you remember like that as being the kind of the turning point. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I need to get a group of guys together. And I, I'm like, I, you're, you're scrambling a little bit. I thought I'll, I'll try and get a hold of the JCCF, the Justice Center for mm. Constitutional Freedom constitutional freedom because i was pretty naive at the time mm. um had a very limited understanding of law and the constitution and otherwise and i thought well the charter will save us right like, yeah uh and so that's it was, what it's there for yeah. yeah so there was four of us that were willing to put our names on a letter um and i understood that there was risks involved because i remember having a talk with the guys and saying like you've got to you need to understand the implications like this that might not end well for us Mm -hmm. so there was um another really solid christian friend of mine that i've known back from my early flight training days he was in the military as well and then uh, interestingly two other um airline pilots that came their families came out of eastern europe so Mm -hmm. they understood what was at stake wow so that was the start of it we had a zoom call we did a bunch of talking 
And then Matt Sattler and myself um, just kind of formed what was free to fly. And so it, it started with a handful of pilots. <clears throat> and then as the mandates came out, grew to several thousand aviation employees across mm -hmm. the spectrum, whether that's flight attendants, maintenance folks. Mm -hmm. And then very importantly for us was to also capture all the, of the, um, the passengers that weren't able to fly. Mm -hmm. So it, mm -hmm. it grew quite rapidly, close to 40,000. There was mm -hmm. about 38,000 passengers and then, and then the aviation employees. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, you know, essentially, um, providing support for each other throughout the season, um, trying to do what we could from a legal perspective, uh, coordinating efforts with the unions, which, which completely just checked out and it was like, just do the right thing or, uh, lose your job, man. Like that's your, your only choice that it just, it, there, unfortunately there was such a small group. Like if you look at the, the aviation industry in the States, um, there was a there was a, a reasonable number, and I'm not talking forty percent. We're talking maybe ten percent mm -hmm. of their pilots at some of the airlines down there just said we're we're not doing it, man. Mm -hmm. Like, and the, and the companies do a cost benefits analysis and realize that it's not going to work. Unfortunately, in Canada, it was a really really like less than one percent right. um, at the end. And there was there was a, there was a bigger group initially, and and I know the pilot demographic more than most. So at my company, you know, probably a few hundred that were hard set against it. Um, and a lot of people didn't think it would actually, they would actually kick you out the door. But then if we got closer and closer to the deadline, which was the 31st of October of 21, guys are like, wow, like I'm going to literally lose my job and, and my entire career. Cause there was nowhere else you could fly. People like, go, go fly in the bush. And it's like, no, it didn't matter. Yeah. Anything that was under that transport Canada mm -hmm. mandate, you had no choice. Um, so yeah, I can't remember what your question was. But I've just been talking for a while. Well, that's mm. that's what led to free to fly. Yes, yeah, yeah. So that was kind of that was where it um, that was that was how it started. Yeah. So you you had mentioned, and we've kind of all been here, is that we've we've been through that crisis and we've been through that fight, and then we're kind of looking ahead. And I mean, this is maybe a good time to recap the conference before we springboard too. Is what we wanted to talk about at the conference is a positive vision for moving forward. And <clears throat> I think, I mean, every day some new kind of crazy is coming down the pipeline. If all we do is read the news headlines every day and, you know, moan about what's coming, like there's no, that it's not productive. It's actually mm -hmm. destroying. It sucks the soul out of you, right? Mm -hmm. So we did a conference on a call to build and maybe a couple we could share a couple highlights from that. I was encouraged by the conference and uh, um, there's a couple takeaways I have, but maybe we'll start with you, Jared. What was some, what was some takeaways for mm. you? Takeaways? <clears throat> I mean, maybe Points more encouragement. encouragements. Like yeah. uh, all the talks I thought were, um, were very good. Mm -hmm. uh, I was particularly, I'm always encouraged by Pastor Aaron Rocks. Yeah. Uh, practicality. Mm -hmm. um, and he just, you know, he's one of those guys you just love having on your side. Yeah. Cause he's so confident and, and so calm and, uh, but just hearing him uh, sort of pick up where Nate left off the night before speaking about the need to, you know, have dominion and, and how that works out. I think Aaron rock filled in a lot of the gaps mm -hmm. uh, and what does that look like? And some of the other theological things that had to kind of get tied together. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just the practicalities of it, mm -hmm. and then of course, uh, uh, of course, Pastor Jacob Reom's um, sermon on the on the Friday night was uh, just a huge challenge. Really, mm -hmm. I mean, um, laying it out there that uh, 
nothing we do will will matter if we're not doing it in uh, in prayer and mm-hmm. uh, of course uh, in the will of the Lord. So. Mm-hmm. Right. So unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain mm-hmm. and uh, trying to keep us oriented on that. Um, uh, the Q and a was fun. Mm-hmm. I thought you guys did a good job with that. So that was good. Yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. uh, that those were some of the high, highlights high points. and the coffee was uh, fantastic. There you go. Resistance yeah. coffee, dark roast. Yep. <clears throat> Fossil fuel soon to be illegal contraband. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently if the NDP get their way, what a bunch of psychos, eh? It's like, yeah. It just dawned on me afresh that our country is not necessarily overall filled with communists, but the ruling class is like 95% communist. Yeah. And people <laughs> are just willing to go along with yeah, it. Yeah, they just go mm-hmm. along with Which it. Which is the only way communists ever win. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so Greg, what about you? You attended the conference. Were you there for the whole time? Yep. The whole thing. What were some... What were some points of encouragement for you, if there were any? Assuming there were some, yeah, no, it was uh, it was great. I said, as I advance in years, I need to take uh, take notes. So I would have uh, carefully consulted my notebook uh, if I'd known this question was coming. So I'd sound more lucid. But <laughs> but uh, no, I, I've I've brought up Jacob's uh, sermon a couple times over the past um, just over the past week in some conversations I'm having along mm-hmm. similar lines, mm-hmm. and just seeing that reflected in in my own life. Um, and thinking back to, to um, it reminded me of, of uh, Steve Richardson's Friday night at the Church at War mm-hmm. conference as well, talking about our prayerlessness mm-hmm. uh, and how ingratitude and prayerlessness can lead to long seasons of, uh, of just wandering, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because we are, as you alluded, in a, in a season where we're, we're trying to figure out what comes next and what should we be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd like super clear answers. And I, and I think... I'll say, well, I'm praying about it, but really, how how much time am I really earnestly uh, praying about it? Um, and I, I appreciated uh, your your uh, your message. It was of Hebrews 11, um, mm-hmm. as I as I recall, which in 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 where we're at right now is is a phenomenal one to return to regularly mm-hmm. of of, mm-hmm. of that idea of that multi generational requirement of of not thinking because I see it in the circles that I spin in people want immediate solutions and it it's what results in this obsession with politics and and, mm-hmm. the, and yeah. legal solutions and and it's like no man you've got to think about your grandkids mm-hmm. and and working with that kind of a timeline and and the small daily acts of obedience are what bring about change and they're not they're not exciting and we don't see quantifiable results a lot of time and, and as a type a guy i get it i find it frustrating i want to see things happening right now but being reminded that no like the, the they worked and labored without seeing the immediate fruits of, of what they were working towards mm-hmm. um so those those were some moments that stand out mm-hmm. i really i i appreciated everything you guys said and one thing i thought was great was um there was a lot of informal conversation. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've been to the big conferences. I've been to T4G, TGC, been to Chicago, you know, Louisville. And it they're, they're great in that they're very obviously gifted people who are leading the sessions. But my experience is the road trip is the best part, right? Going down yeah. with a couple of guys, getting closer fellowship with some brothers that you don't otherwise get, hanging out in the hotel, you know, good food for thought from the conversa- from the sessions. But I often think, you know what, we could have done this with some pizza back home and saved $1,000. And in a smaller conference, you can talk to people a lot more. Mm-hmm. So when you're in an arena, you talk to your friends, really. You don't really connect mm-hmm. with other people. But we had people from Alberta, from Saskatchewan, 
and it was awesome to see so many people making connections with other like-minded believers. And uh, that's one of the strategies, talking strategy moving forward is, is we have to stick together. Mm-hmm. We have to find people who are putting their hand to the plow who are getting on the Mayflower, and we have to, you know, um, use each other's strengths and make up for each other's weaknesses and pray for one another. And whatever comes down the pipe, I mean, God has ordained that the that these things are accomplished as a body, mm-hmm. not as just a hero. Mm-hmm. And even the most gifted among us is nothing without the hand, without the foot, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So that was that was an encouragement. I, I thought it was uh, well timed. Like the timing of all the sessions was good. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of time in between for for that fellowship. It wasn't just right from one thing to another. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. which often you burn out after three or four sessions. Yeah, halfway through the day, and you're like, I can't take any more in. But yeah, uh, there was sort of good pauses. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one was uh, Pastor Josh Mills. Yeah. Uh, did you guys sit in on that yeah. breakout? I saw the end of it. That was just uh, hearing him talk about evangelism just makes you want to, you know, just run out into the street and start yeah. reading the Psalms or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I, <laughs> but uh, again, convicting. Yes. Like we, this yeah. is something we really need to get on. Um, well, that's one thing I've been thinking about is that there's, um, it feels as though Christians are not in the public conversation the way the prophets were. Yeah. And I've kind of mentioned this to you off air, but um, I I personally, and maybe it's like, you know, Jeremiah, if I don't speak, you know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe I feel that as a preacher, but I feel as it's guilt might be too strong, but almost an angst or um, like I'm not doing something I'm, I ought to be doing when I'm not speaking publicly. Mm-hmm. And it's not about prom- self-promotion or a platform or something like that. It just feels um, like... Christians need to be involved in the public conversation, and we just actually aren't. And so I've been reflecting on this. One of the things I'm thinking through, maybe to throw it to you guys, is it seems like at least some of the prophets, and certainly John the Baptist, and Jesus' ministry, and even Paul, if you look at where he went, they they not only spoke the truth, but they actually did things to draw a crowd to hear the truth. Mm-hmm. So there's obviously extreme examples of some of the prophets doing, you know, walking around naked and like or lay on your side for three months or whatever. Yeah, you know, bore a hole in this wall. There was there was often like a, some type of theatrical element yes. to it. Yeah, yes, and they they were a spectacle. Yeah, and it wasn't to draw attention to them. It was to draw attention to them so that they could draw attention to God. Because when a culture is so steeped in idolatry, part your biggest obstacle is indifference. Mm-hmm. It's like no one cares. Mm-hmm. No one wants to listen. There's, it's not as though they hear you and reject you. It's like no one even hears you. And I, I remember, I don't know if you were there, but when I spoke at the first protest here, and it was the first time I'd ever done anything like this publicly, and I felt nervous about it, I'm telling you there were a thousand people there and everyone was chattering through all the other speeches. And when I got up, I said nothing that was unique to me. It was almost verbatim scripture, you know, about the gospel. Of Christ came um, not for the healthy, but the sick, and this type of thing. Like, you could have heard a pin drop in mm-hmm. the park. And everyone just stopped and listened. It was like this in Ottawa, too. That everyone had ears to hear. Was clearly God was doing this. Like, if I stood down the cenotaph in a normal time, no one would even look at me. Like if I put a speaker out there and talk, no one would even look at me. 
Um, so I've just, I'm kind of being long-winded, but I'm just wondering what you think about part of the church's strategy is do things to actually get people to listen to you. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I don't know, is this something you've thought about or does this resonate with you or does it sound no, crazy or no, what? No, I, I, and I, I feel, I feel guilt about this too, because I feel like we should be like, you, you don't wait for sinners to come to you. No. You're supposed to go to where they are. Yeah. Right. And share the gospel with them. So, I mean, apart from regular, our regular duties that we have, this should be part of our ministry, whether yeah. it's, you know, we have our ministry with our families, our, with our church and whatever responsibilities we have there. But this is also a responsibility, our, our love for neighbor. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And, uh, I just. Like Paul would go yeah. to the synagogues, right? He'd say, where are people going to listen? Where are we going to get an audience? There's none of this. Just go stand somewhere and pray that something happens. Like, yeah, you do pray that something happens, but there's John the Baptist is dressed funny and eating locusts. Like, he was a spectacle of a man. Mm-hmm. And even Jesus' ministry, Jesus was obscure. Remember what they said of him? Is this a carpenter's son? It's like, what? I know what that guy. Yeah, what, yeah it's, but it's yeah. like, what happened to that dude? You know, all of a sudden, he, it's not as though he, it was the first time he told the truth. He was the sinless son of God. He's only ever told the truth. But it was like when he was, you know, 12 in the temple and he's teaching them, you know what I mean? And then when he comes out of the wilderness, the power of the spirit, he, 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 his, his life changes to a public ministry. Yeah. And I just think we're, the Christianized world is used to having the gospel relegated to buildings and we have our own carved out places where we're allowed to worship, but then pluralism kind of pushes us to those corners. And now we're like, no one cares. And then there's, you know, we send missionaries to do that type of thing. But the part of the, you know, the great awakening was open air preaching, mm-hmm. you know, Whitfield over here, but even the Wesley brothers. And they, the big thing was leaving the four walls of the church. It wasn't so much about, like the op- the open air was to get out to where the people were, yeah. To go to the labor the camps where people were working, where the lower class were, the people who weren't coming. Yeah, to I you. mean, this was a thing with Bunyan too, right? Like he, yes, he wanted to go preach in other places that weren't authorized. Yes, mm-hmm. right? exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, I know, I want to go to this hall down here where all these people hang out and go preach there. So. Yeah. Well, and that's been for for me. I mean, I've been very convicted, like you said, with with Josh's um, breakout for sure. Um, and even in in my own sphere, right, with with free to fly as an example, um, I don't know how long ago it was. It was probably around the church at wartime. I was very convicted, um, and not that we we'd ever hidden our faith in terms of what we were doing, but that, like you said, that this this wasn't created explicitly uh, as an organization that was geared mm. um, towards faith, but that this is a platform and that you need to use it. Uh, to glorify me, um, so that that that's what we've been trying to do over the last, you know, the last couple of years more explicitly. And like you said, um, almost without fail, there are people that'll that'll say, I don't know, we don't want to hear that from you, Jesus freak or whatever. Mm-hmm. But for for the most part, um, people will say, I, I've I've. I've gone back to, to reading my Bible or I've returned to my faith because, because it is a desperate situation and there aren't clear answers for people. Uh, and I've said it, there literally is no hope aside from Christ. And so mm-hmm. what am I, what am I supposed to say publicly on those, 
in those forums that I'm 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 able to uh, to speak to it, and I feel pretty pretty ill equipped. Um, it it's been a real awakening for me over the last number mm-hmm. of years. I, I grew up in a Christian home, but you know, in my mid fifties, and I think you know what, what do I have to show for it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and in, in this latter season of my life, I guess if you want, mm-hmm. it's almost this panic feeling of man, you wasted way too much time. I, I know I sound like the old guy, and maybe it's normal when you're in your fifties, <laughs> but but I'm the guy that's talking to twenty uh, year olds and thirty year olds now, saying don't waste those years because mm-hmm. you get to this part. And when you do have a platform to to speak, you feel like, um, you know, I, I just feel inadequate in it. Some, but 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 God is good in, in equipping and bringing bringing fruit from it. But I, I think every opportunity that we have, um, it's it's just a blessing to be able to to speak to it when when provided and, and when we have those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we all feel a little slow of speech, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even the best the mm-hmm. best in scripture. Uh, you know, felt that way. So mm-hmm. I think that's uh, in some ways good. Mm-hmm. We uh, don't feel too haughty about our own abilities, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and the Lord, the Lord, I mean, he tells Moses, right? Moses complains and says, like, I've, I've, been, I've never been a good speaker. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, who is it that causes man to speak? Yeah. Like, I'm the one who causes man to speak, so. But, but again, Moses went, and that brings me back to my Kind of what I'm ruminating on is like is is there as far as strategy, is there a way of engaging or creating a spectacle that we're over? It, even to say that it sounds like it's not a Christian thing to say, like to cause a spectacle to get people to listen. But I just I actually think it is biblical within certain boundaries, right? And I don't think we can sit back and kind of wait and just chalk it up to God's providence or sovereignty and not raising us up if we're not pursuing those opportunities. Like, you know, if you, if the door closes, you can't get in. That's one thing. But have you, have you tried, you know, like where, where are we, where are we engaging publicly and, and not waiting to be invited? Like Paul didn't, Jesus and Paul and John, no one invited them. He didn't get an invitation to the Areopagus. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I'm going to go where the people are talking and where the people are, and I'm going to go share the gospel with them. I'm going to go. And it wasn't always those those sermons. Like, he did go house to house, and Jesus ate with people, and there's a place to develop relationships and um, kind of organic evangelism, too. I'm not... But the point is, like, he, he went out, the fishers of men, right? Mm-hmm. You, you have to go cast your nets. And... Um, I just feel as though like what we do on a Sunday in corporate worship is a little bit of that where we're aware. And I always think when I'm preaching of people who aren't believers, I try to anticipate objections and this type of thing, but that's not, that's not really um, the going out there, you know? So maybe, maybe it'll come to me, but that's, that's what I've been thinking about. Mm-hmm. Is that there's a severe lack in that. And uh, we can't just wait for people to come to us to mm-hmm. preach the gospel. So, so, so moving forward, we've talked a little bit offline, Greg, and you've kind of alluded to it that even in <coughs> your military service, you realize like um, people's loyalties are to the the guy beside them, and maybe our priorities need to be more aligned with that as well. Mm-hmm. Focusing on your family, focusing on the local church, focusing on your actual neighbors, um, whether or not we get a, a, a good opinions in the court, 
you know, whether or not we have a turnaround, the political level is in many ways out of our hands, you know, but our immediate duties are things um, that we can give ourselves to. Is this a shift that's taken place in your thinking? You kind of alluded to that. Yeah. um, In part, because I think we were all a little bit naive about how crazy things would actually get in a very short period of time. Right. Um, and, and realistically, as far as free to fly goes, our, our raison d'etre, the core one was that travel mandate. Yes. And so once that was suspended, the majority of people went back to work. There's still some that, that didn't. WestJet was, uh, was one company that was particularly vicious with, uh, with some huh. of their people. Um, not quite the friendly, um. People they pretend to be. Yeah. Um, but, but, but aside from that, um, a lot of people just kind of kind of moved on, but at the same time, you've got this incessant and increasing craziness, for lack, for lack of a better term. And so, uh, as part of what we do, we've got these chat groups that everybody's in, and and a lot of it just devolves into endless sharing of news posts, like over and over and over <laughs> and over again, right? Yeah. And it becomes not so much demoralizing uh, as it is frustrating because it's really not producing any any particular fruit and, and and you do start asking those questions well what what should we be doing where should we be going and we we have a class action lawsuit that's part of of what we're working towards um it, you know best case is going to drag through the courts for for years and it's not it's not who we are or or the biggest thing that we're working on but it, it doesn't mean that we don't you know pursue that and force them to jump through some hoops and have some accountability but but separate from that just starting to have conversations with people about about what you should be doing, um, and asking myself that, and and going back to what you're talking about, and mm-hmm. and I had you know a, a mini epiphany myself uh, a couple years ago where I was you know doing all this quote unquote freedom fighting, um, just obscene amounts of time, and and a lot of it's it just sitting at a laptop hammering mm-hmm. away at stuff endlessly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then realizing my 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 wife, who never complains about anything, is suffering in the process because I'm not present in our home, mm. um, and and not to the point where you've completely checked out. Because I've said this publicly a few times, and she's like, "Oh, don't be so hard on yourself." But I think that conviction, you know, comes from God that yeah. that you are not being the husband you need to be. You're not being the father you need to be. Uh, and having one of my kids say the same thing, right? I'm like, well, "Why didn't you tell me this?" And he's like, "Dad, because you're you're way too busy with other stuff." Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that was part of that process of thinking, if we don't have solid homes that, that, that form solid churches that then maybe start actually impacting the local community, uh, then we're in the wrong business. And, and I see it just looking out at other, just at other things that are happening within, within what we call the freedom movement mm-hmm. that are pretty unpalatable and really not productive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's almost this. Um, look at me culture that's oh, gotten yeah. out there, right? And you think this is going nowhere. Like this has just become another version of Hollywood almost, yeah. right? Like it's yeah. it's the freedom Hollywood that it's like, how many followers do you have and how many clicks are you getting? And and it's, and I've, I've confronted people and said, you're just another version of scaremongering, right? Mm-hmm. As it's just our own version of the New York Times and CNN. Like this mm-hmm. isn't healthy within, within some of the stuff that's happening aviation wise. So then trying to get people to look back at, at where are you, first of all, uh, in your relationship with God mm-hmm. and doing what we can uh, with our organization to, to speak to that overtly, consistently, every opportunity we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, you know, and I'll still see myself reverting back to that, you know, type A driven guy that's like, why isn't this happening faster? 
um, and then realizing, no, like this is about relationships and mm -hmm. relationships. It's like with your kids, you know, it's like, why aren't they getting this? And how much time are you actually spending with them relationship building? Mm -hmm. Like that takes, that takes time. And, and so I think it, it's gone from, you know, you've got these extremes of people saying, write a letter to Justin Trudeau, which is probably the most useless thing you can do, yeah. but trying to like get right to the top and, and, and make things happen immediately to moving almost to the other end of the spectrum with like, no, where are you personally, number one? And where's your family um, next? Uh, and that being the starting starting point. So that's for me has been has been a shift. And it 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 doesn't play that well really in the in the bigger yeah. Like if you if you want to get a lot of followers uh, in the social media game, that doesn't tend to yep. translate into metrics. Yeah. But we have to say, who cares? Like, yeah. That's not the game that we're playing. Like we want to be solid, you know, men leading our families in 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 healthy ways that that mm -hmm. we're called to biblically. Amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's not much to add to that. I think, and it's like I was going through Hebrews. You have to be content with leaving the results to the Lord. Mm -hmm. You have to be content, like a farmer sows his seed, and but but you know, one man sows, another man reaps. But it's 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 like God who gives the growth, mm -hmm. and we're just not very comfortable. We're results driven. And we're immediate, quick, and results. And a lot of the most important work of God uh, is is the antithesis to that. It's slow, consistent, plodding without seeing the fruit of your labor, but trusting in the God who gives growth. Mm -hmm. And that takes discipline. That takes faith. And uh, not that there aren't other, you know, as as opportunities arise to partner and initiatives and whatever, but the reality is, you know, it's going to be the sowing, that kind of sowing. Mm -hmm. And as I, as I tell you guys, we're at the rock picking phase of this project. <laughs> we're not on the storm, the cathedral and have a, you know, a preaching fest phase where we're like, let's clear some land here. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that that imagery has been so helpful for me. You and you and I had a conversation a couple of months ago about that, and I've just shamelessly stolen it and and used hey. it a number of times because it does. I th I think the power of that imagery and 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 using it as story is so important mm -hmm. um, because you have to be willing to to just grind through that season. Um, for the rest of your days on, yeah. on earth. Right. And, and, and I think people have to understand that we're, we're in this battle, um, for the, I mean, that, that's what we're called to, right. We're in yeah. this battle for the rest of our days. Mm -hmm. Um, and if we toil away in obscurity, which is something we heard about at the conference as well. And, and I think that's so key as well. And, and I'm constantly convicted by that. It's like, are you willing to just do this in total obscurity? Yeah. Um, because, because I have had an opportunity to speak, uh, publicly, but I'm also aware of hundreds, thousands of stories of people that have acted way more faithfully than I, than mm -hmm. I have that are just doing that in humility, in the dark, day after day after day. Yeah. And that's what we're called to. And we have to, if God lays before us, this is the task that I want you to work on for the next 30 years. Uh, we have to be willing to say, cool, like that's that's what I'm called to and, and that's what I need to be willing to hear and to, to, to walk in. Yeah, Jeremy mentioned how Scripture interprets history, and one of the—if you've grown up with Scripture, you um, you have a certain historical narrative that you're comfortable that, you, that you're familiar with. 
this isn't the narrative that most people in the world would think about. The world yeah. would be shaped around Egypt, Babylon, like Angus Khan, yeah, yeah. not Israel. You know what I mean? And that's kind of a central feature that no, but God's work in the world is centered around the people that He says you are the least of the people, right? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't choose you because you were this great nation. I called a bunch of pagans, you know, and I made a covenant with them, and I I brought redeemed their ancestors from slavery, and I made a covenant with them, and you know, I, I intend that through you know my people, I'm going to manifest my glory as they walk in obedience and faith. Well. The whole the whole story, and then you, even you get to the church. When Jesus left, it wasn't to there weren't thousands of people like all of his disciples even left, and what was left was in an upper room, terrified. And the Holy Spirit came, and boom, revival. But even that, it, even so much of the scripture, if you were to put it, if we were to be reporters at the time, we wouldn't report the story the same. Yeah, we wouldn't look out and say, "What's what's the event of the day." What's the main thing? What's moving the world right now? What are the big events coming down the pipeline? It's not going to be, you know, Esther. You know, it's not going to be Ruth. It's not going to be, you know, so many of the people in Scripture that we look back and see that literally the world changed through them. Mm-hmm. But not for not because they had the power, not because it changed quickly, you know, but because they were faithful to God. Mm-hmm. And I just think, you know, that is the perspective that we need moving forward. Um, Give yourself to the mundane things. Give yourself Mm -hmm. to the things that no one praises you for, no one follows you for, no one says thank you for. Mm -hmm. And uh, pray that that God gives growth. So, Amen to that. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, Practical stuff. So we talked a lot at the conference and and actually didn't there wasn't a lot of practical stuff at the conference mm-hmm. um and i think strategy is now kind of what we want to talk about right like it was a lot of it was the theological basis mm-hmm. you know having to rely on god the need to even uh be taking dominion in the first place yeah um but i think you know most of us are just like okay good what do i do yeah. Well, I think in light of what we just talked about, a lot of it is not what you're thinking. It's like, go do the things you knew you were supposed to do before, to love your wife and love your husband and raise your children and be a faithful member of a church and, you know, work at your job as unto the Lord. You know, that's like 99% of what you need to do. And if along the course of that path, there God raises you up for a particular duty, Right. Um, or opportunity, then take it. But um, I think what Greg was alluding to and what I feel as well is the path to victory looks a lot different than I thought it did Mm -hmm. maybe three years ago. You know, the path to victory uh, is not the battle that I thought it was. But I will say, I still just do feel we're not in the public conversation. And I don't know the practical solution to that. I don't know if that's like an online thing to be more in the conversation, to be putting our resources towards getting the truth out there. Like the internet is a Roman roads, you know, let's use that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a physical face-to-face thing. I just feel this angst about we're not in the conversation. There's 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 people who need to hear the truth who are not hearing the truth. And I, I don't know the first step to that. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. It seems like the evangelistic piece is the key here. Yeah. Um, I mean, you don't have to 
you don't have to convince us too hard that you know our immediate responsibilities are really important yeah and that it's 90 percent. like yeah family kids job i think we're all like yeah it's good but yeah um that evangelistic thing i mean the gospel going out like we don't claim to be able to change the world apart from the gospel anyway yeah so why why aren't we using this more why aren't we well and i think part partly this is a concern about seeing the um where revolution can go yeah and that's not good no so what what they're planning to do like can you imagine they pass this legislation that literally makes traditional parenting illegal like you can't spank your kid like it makes a requirement of scripture illegal, and they're, if they push these things through, and they start killing people with mental illness on top of abortion, all this, there is a threshold where it won't be tolerated. That's right. And we, at that point, you can either seek reform according to the law or revolution apart from it. And revolution apart from the law is not good for anyone. Yeah. Not just because in the immediate, a lot of people get hurt. But the consequences can be worse. You can end up in a worse situation because now the yeah. clampdown by tyr- tyrants well, is justified. Russia. Look at Russia. Look at yes. Uh, look at what happened to France after the revolution. I mean, there's just it's never good. No, no, it's not good. So, but what one of the ways we avoid a sinful revolution is we proactively lead as Christians, as truth tellers. What are the steps we need to be taking? And I find in the freedom world right now is all unbelievers. It's all unbelievers raging against the man. And, you know, there was a time when everyone was listening to James Coates' sermons on Romans 13 and Tim Stevens' sermons because they were going to jail. And tons of people we know who aren't Christians were listening to them. They gained a huge, huge audience. And they're going on Tucker Carlson. His wife is going on Tucker. The Lord gave them an opportunity. And the, the Gospels tell this. Jesus said that... um he talks about his disciples would go before magistrates to testify to the truth. Like, so maybe part on, of this spe- on their way to being martyred. Exactly. Yeah. But part of me wonders if maybe that's part of the spectacle is someone needs to burn a pride flag and film it or something. Like there, there needs to be something to get these people's attention. But um, Christians need to be leading the conversation because when we back into the conversation, we bow into the conversation. The alternative is bad. Mm. Yeah, well, and I, I, some of what you're saying, I was just reading something uh, today, and it's that idea of, you know, of dominion taking, but in the context of covenant, uh, right. that it's not strictly about just, like you said, raging uh, against the machine constantly no. Uh, with no particular, it's when the military, we used to call it all thrust, no vector, right? Like there's right. all this thrust, but it's not going anywhere in particular. Um, and, I, and I totally hear what you're saying, and I've had the same kind of angst, and I just sitting and talking about all these things, and and I remember saying to my wife, like, I, I just feel like, hey, Mr. Keyboard Warrior, like, what are you actually doing yourself yeah. other than telling everybody else what all these good things are? Um, and so just as, as one one example, because uh, I'd seen somebody else do it, we, we and, I, and I'm, I, I told you about the same thing, we just had a, a potluck uh, in our local community. So good. Send out an email to like 30 people and 110 people showed up. That's amazing. But what it what it says is there's a, there is this visceral desire for connection. And I think that that can segue into some of what you're talking about because – a good chunk of them were Christian, but there was there was there was some there that weren't, and there were some great conversations that came out of it because they have this desperate need inside inside of them, um, and that's the hope 
you know that that we can uh, that we can speak to. Mm-hmm. So that's just one small example of uh, yeah, and and my neighbor um, as an example. Like I've you know how can I how can I connect with him? How can I talk? Yeah, rough around the edges farmer from my local community, and he. Well, all shaved up, had on his best uh, suspenders, and he was out there and got to meet some good people, right? And it's, it's, uh, it didn't change his life overnight, uh, but now we've got a context because I, he doesn't even have a computer, I don't think, so I printed out, you know, it was a very clear invitation that this is why we're gathered because yeah. this is our hope in Christ. Yeah. Uh, and he, he, well, he and his wife decided to come out. That's so awesome. these are tiny little little things that can be done. And what's easier than than something like a potluck, right? Like a bunch of people bring food and you all get to eat. And mm-hmm. uh, and again, it didn't change the community overnight, but you've now established connections for some of those things you're alluding to where let, let's say it does get actually really crazy. Well, now I know that John, this businessman has ABC and I can connect with, and you're kind of starting to connect people in practical Practical ways, like spend your money at businesses that see the see the world the same as you, rather than giving yes. your money to to some other gas station that's not owned by somebody that has the same worldview as yes. you, right? Um, and, and that's just a forum to to connect people that are outside our current s- circles. Because because what you're saying is, how do we get outside? Just what's happening uh, with my you know my, my church crowd or whatever? Mm-hmm. How do I interact interact with the culture? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's stuff that I'm certainly wrestling with still as well, but. Mm-hmm. There certainly is in the the freedom movement. Um, I mean, most most of these people aren't believers, so they're uh, you know they're enslaved to sin too. Just because maybe they they see a different form of evil that they want to fight against doesn't mean that they're righteous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, what I see from a lot of people is this: it's the same thing you see with uh, people on the left. It's blaming, mm-hmm. right? And people are blaming others for their own faults and it's like sure you're blaming a government that's tyrannical um but you still have to take responsibility mm-hmm. um and so i mean that's that's great because we need we need to we need to take the open door of people who maybe see they see rightly some issues but are wrongly attributing the the i guess the, the soul it's like the yeah. soul responsibility is someone like, else no you're still you're still a slave to sin. That's that's why you're feeling the way you are. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I mean, tyrants are going to tyrant, uh, and they don't make it comfortable for any of us. Mm-hmm. But uh, you still have to, you know, you you still have to deal with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you're not going to get a pass because Justin Trudeau called you a racist. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, and that whole piece about freedom too. Like I remember thinking that about a year and a half ago too. Right? It was all this like freedom, and then it's like. It's not just about endless freedom, right? Mm-hmm. Like I remember Solzhenitsyn uh, gave a speech at Harvard back in 1978, well worth looking up if you ever get a chance, but he he spoke to a lot of that, which is phenomenal given what you know about his history and talking about for, for, for you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, democracy uh, and freedom were really attached to our responsibility before God. Mm. Um, and, and there's, there's really no amount of advancement, uh, in the, in the Western era, including, you know, our ventures into space can make up for the moral decay that we've seen mm. in the West, because there is this decoupling from your responsibility before God. It's just freedom, 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 and my rights are my rights. And yet there's no responsibility before God. And that's why we're at where we're at. And I think that's, you're starting to see people talk about this. I know lawyer Bruce Party mm. 
brought this up and actually he and David Haskell are having a, a debate on this uh, in April, I think, over this whole issue, yeah. um, which it, it's I, whatever you could say, it's creating some fractions, but I think it's a conversation that probably needs to, to, to happen as well. So. Yeah, that's the, that's just licentiousness, like freedom, freedom forever is just licentiousness mm-hmm. and well, people want that. They want to be able to do whatever they want, but it's like, no, that's not what, that's not what liberty is. Well, it's also, it's it's irrational in the sense it's not possible. Yeah. It's an illusion because our lives are too connected so that you doing whatever you want at some point will run up against someone else's what they want. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's completely theoretical and it doesn't, it's not real. So it's like on top of whether it's, you know, well, right or wrong has to correspond to reality, right? But I didn't, yeah, I'm interested to hear that debate because when I read uh, Party's article, who I really appreciate the mm-hmm. work that he's done, he's a co-belligerent for sure. Yeah. I thought, wow, this is the dead end of libertarianism. Like it's just a whole lot of internal like contradictions. And I didn't like how they framed the debate virtue versus liberty. Yeah. I'm like, that's kind of assuming the whole point that we want to yeah. question. Like what in the world is freedom apart from virtue, you know? And, but hopefully is it David Haskell is yeah. his name? Yeah. Okay. Hopefully he's uh, up for the task. Yeah. I think so. He's a Canadian guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Solid, uh, solid Christian guy. Do you know him? Yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. And sorry, who's he debating? Uh, Bruce, Bruce Party. Party. Yeah, Bruce Party's a lawyer. Well, he teaches at. He te- taught at Queens, and then he lost that for the same reason others of us uh, lost our job. But he's he's been very helpful behind the scenes uh, with us as well. Just just helping frame my own. Um, education on how futile a lot of our legal efforts are oh, yeah. in Canada and, and, and the history of, of the charter and the lack of, of grand assistance that it's, that it is to us now and why, why that is. Right. So. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, good. Hmm. I think that's uh lots to chew on. Yeah. I think we've uh, bloviated enough for yeah. one day. Huh? Are you a little encouraged yet, Jerry? Yeah. You're getting there? Sure. Good. Yeah. It's always an encouragement. Moving the dial a little bit. Yeah. That's you know, great. Maybe I just need like a steak or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> hey, we're having some pizza if you want to come over for there dinner, dude. Uh, last time I had pizza, I ended up at the hospital, you know? Did you? <laughs> well, they get the gallstones and all that yeah. sort of thing. And then they wouldn't let me in because I wouldn't put a mask on. But uh, <laughs> Sorry, man. I'm in pain. Well, if you put a mask on, we can help you. Yeah. Right, I'm going home. I'll just <laughs> wait it out. <laughs> well, I tried to cheer you up. <laughs> well, that makes me that makes me chuckle. So you just cheered me up. It worked. It worked. I'm happy again. Good. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll leave you with our uh, normal call out. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. See you next time. <laughs>